If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. Back by popular demand, Dr. Sarah Ferrant. Ferrant. How do I say Ferrant? It's such a simple <laughs> word. Ferrant. That's right. Ferrant. Oh, You're I got it. Well. You're good. Now, <laughs> tell me this. People loved you coming on the show. Oh, thank you. you have built a remarkable business and a business helping people with their health. How did you get into this world? Like most of us grow up going off to the doctor and, you know, take a pill and that's how we live. But you and your husband stood apart from that and developed a whole new or part of a whole new model of thinking about health. How did you get, how did that come about? Because it actually requires quite independent thought and quite a lot of courage, I suspect, and some good mentors. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it started for us, you know, many moons ago, over 30 years ago, really, and it was my dad that taught me two things. One, you've got all the answers inside of you, ask a question, trust your answer. And the second thing he taught me very clearly and quite consistently was find out what everybody else is doing and run like hell in the opposite direction. So, what, so what, what do you think that latter one means? Well, I know my dad was very good at looking at things in a different way and seeing what the masses were doing and wondering if, if everyone's doing it that way but there's not really much change, well, why wouldn't we want to do it the other way and see if we get greater change? So for me growing up, it was always that, if everyone's doing that, well, I'm not going to do that because look at the results that people are getting. So, um, and I, and as a result of that, Rodney, I've always been a, a questioner. So when it came for us to open our business, Vital Wellbeing, we were wanted to make sure that we were our focus, our drive, our vision, our mission. I guess is was to always optimize the health of people, of families. And so you don't, if, we could, if we could influence a generation, then that generation then would gradually change to the next generation. So that's how we thought that we would be able to instigate instigate change. So with your father's genetic heritage and cultural upbringing, mm. you don't feel a particular pressure to conform? No, probably probably more the other way, actually, that I'm just... You're only in your happy place when you're standing aside. Yeah, and I'm quite comfortable in making decisions for myself and not having to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or, you know, that saying, right? Mm. I, I don't feel mm. like I have to be a part of a crowd or a group to fit in. I, I, I think for my husband and I, we're all very much of the ilk of this is our family, this is our kids, Um we get to raise them in the way that we want to, in the best way that we know how. And when they become adults and they have their own children, then they'll get to do it their way. So I, I do remember when we were first, you know, kind of starting out on this journey and my parents had, you know, challenged me on a couple of things. And I just said to them, you know what, you had your turn. 
You know, you had your turn. Let us do it our way. And if we, you know, muck up for whatever reason, then that's on us. So for us, you know, we've always been on par with, you know, making decisions. Although in in most households, Rodney, I would say that 95% of the time, the female is the one that's making those health decisions around children. Indeed. And and so for us educating the, fa- the, the the female and the family is yeah. really important as well. What was it like at school, high school in particular, with this nonconformist streak? Because to me, school is all about homogenizing you. Yeah. Well, I was very much the loner at school. You know, I was the dumb and, you know, as from prior interviews with you, I was the dumb and I was dunce. You know, that's what I was called in the schoolyard. I didn't have a close circle of friends. I don't see many of my school friends now. I I thought for myself, I went to Miss Claire. She would teach me different things about systems. So in the schoolyard, I was still beating my own drum. You know, when I was- Did that bother you? No, not at all. No. And I probably continue in a similar vein- today in in that way very much standing on my um you know my own two feet with making my decisions um but i'm not making careless decisions rodney Mm. they are what makes sense decisions now some people might say oh she's an irresponsible parent because she's doing x y and z well yes if you carry a certain belief and understanding then i can see how you would probably see that but when you sit in the seat that i sit in then you can also see the way that I, you know, frame and I I look at the world, at at looking at things from this different perspective. And, um, you know, I think once people are educated in, you know, our our vital wellbeing philosophy, my approach to health, my understanding of how, you know, bigger things happen within life, then then people are like, people get that, uh, oh, aha, you know, that aha Mm. moment that I, you know, that's always... I always look to instill in the people that I do one-on-ones with or where I present that people come away with an aha, with a with like a, a little bag or a big bag full of, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Or why wouldn't I think like that? Or or how can I get more information about that? So it, it's not that um, you know, I certainly wouldn't put an irresponsible parent hat on my head. I would say I'm very calculated in the decisions that I make in terms of making sure that I can optimize the health of my children, myself, my husband, and those people who, who uh, you know, follow along with us. It must be extremely empowering to be a person who doesn't feel the need to conform. Yeah, it is, actually. It's quite liberating. <laughs> because you're not subject to other people's whims and fancies and fads. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think because that's the way I've always been, I, I know no different than yeah. to sit in my strength and my courage and my own bravery in making the decisions um, that and I And presumably that makes you the opposite of a victim because you make your own decisions and so you don't sit there and say, poor me, because you see yourself sitting outside making your own decisions, not carried along by other people's decisions. Yeah, very very much so, Rodney. And for for me and for our kids and for the people that we educate, we we come from that position of responsibility that everything in your life 
is, you know, occurs or is a result of you having a hand on, you having a handle in, sorry. So it's your responsibility. So it doesn't matter whether we're talking about health or whether we're talking to, you know, a group of people or our children about finances or about social interactions, it doesn't matter. It all goes back to you have responsibility and your responsibility is in the decisions that you make. So there is no, you can't point the finger um, at someone else and lay blame when you have had the information and you're the one that's made a decision to go in a certain direction. Mm. And tell me now about your business, Vital Wellbeing. What does it do? What's its purpose? How does it work? So Vital Wellbeing, um, we established that to optimise the health of generations, like I said. So we are kind of like a three-pronged approach to, to health. So we have um, our direct services, which is chiropractic adjustments in our bricks and mortar buildings. And then we have uh, online education and then we have our food line. So we have minerals, magnesium and colloidal minerals as well. So it comes under the umbrella of move, eat, think. So from the perspective of understanding how we create health challenges within our life, um, we look at it like a triangle where there's physical, there's chemical and there's emotional impact um, in, in, in our life and how we perceptually view that um, the, the physical, the chemical, the emotional, the stresses then uh, creates the changes in our health. So we're always addressing with people that physical, the chemical and the emotional um, kind of like a three-legged stool, I would guess, mm. um, Rodney, that if you take away one of them, you're only looking at one aspect of the challenges that you create in your life. But when we look at all three of them, um, then then uh, we have this opportunity to learn. So it was, and, it and was change. Move, eat, uh, was it? Move. Uh, on our website, yeah, it's Move, Eat, Think. What a wonderful thing. It's really boils it down. Now, uh tricky thing do you find it a bit stressful that when you're advocating for people's health that you're setting yourself up as a role model and for a fail and by that i mean well i'll give you the example we had these dreadful people i remember an american surgeon general or something and you'd be beaming into our tv sets not that I watch TV, but I'd see him on YouTube. And he'd be telling us what we need to do for our health. The guy looked like he had both feet in the grave and was barely alive. He looked dreadful. Every aspect of him was a mess. And yet here he was, this physician, telling us about health. Now, you can't help but look at that. It's like someone giving you business advice. You sort of look at them and you think, well, you know, how successful are you in business? So you have a dreadful, well, what is it? Is it a good responsibility to be exude radiant good health and optimism <laughs> at every opportunity <laughs> and your children? And we all know that you could be stricken. Um, these things, God moves in mysterious ways and you could be the healthiest per person on the planet and be stricken. I, I, I sort of guess the thing is, is you've got to work quite hard to be what you proselytize. 
Or do yeah. you find that easy? Um, you know, I like having a clean diet. We eat organic. Um, I move um, and I think differently. So, you know, move, eat, think. That, that's kind of our... It's our who you are. It's who, yeah, it's who I am. It's who And I, your I children? And the kids too, yep. Because they can... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, we've all seen parents who live a good life, and their parents turn their kids turn out something wonky. Um, so well far, done. so far, you know, at, so at twenty one, nineteen, and seventeen, they're they're uh, following the, uh, you know, they they eat well, they they exercise, they play high level sport. Um, you know, our youngest is just finished. Oh, now you now you're making me feel. Nutrition. Now you're making us all feel inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 that's not the idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got the interesting experience where I have young children. One's just started, the oldest has just started high school mm -hmm. and the other two at primary school. And I have an older son who has uh, a child and one on the way. So I have this wonderful experience. And like you say, you know, my son is telling me, I went and visited him and he's telling me about how he's raising their son and all the rest of it. And doing it a bit different to what we did. And it's exactly that point you made about, you know, it's his turn. And I say nothing. And um, other than admire him taking responsibility for his family and looking after his family and providing for his family, which just fills me with joy. Mm, nice. um, and so, and of course, while you've still got young kids, you don't actually get on a soapbox. Because you realise just how tough it is parenting. Yes. Um, well <laughs> Tell me, we seem to have, and I'm sure you're going to confirm my bias here, but I would imagine, I don't even know if there is a thing called mental health, because, but we talk about it and we see it play out in the papers and news media endlessly where people say they're unwell in the head, in the thinking department, in the responsibility department. And we've particularly seen it in recent times with our politicians behaving erratically and badly and blaming, quote, in quotes, uh, mental health. And funnily enough, I do think there's something wrong with them. But I can't help but think that it's lifestyle and food. Would that be, like, obviously there are things that can go terribly wrong. There's always, you know, uh, medical conditions. But when you're looking at people, they're not living well as, say, our grandmothers lived. Would that I, be I, I would, about uh, totally. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And um, you're right, we, we're, we're not living like our grandparents did or our great-grandparents even, you know, even mm. better than that. Um, and I do believe that, you know, move, eat, think, all of it is, is you know, we're in this, um, it's like this cocktail of things that are influencing our life. And however, in saying that, Yes, diet is really important, um, and yes, how we think and the conversations we have are really important. But what I I feel that supersedes all of that is the internal communication that we have with ourselves, and the master communication of of that is the nerve system. So the nerve system 
as I've said before with you and on it on other interviews, and I'll and I'll keep saying it, is the master communicating system of the body. So there's there's not one thing that you can do without appropriate neurological function. Now that neurological compromise can actually be set up from birth, depending on how you're born. And it can also be the challenges that we have, like the up to 2,000 different falls that we have in our lifetime up until the, you know, just to the age of two. And then we've got all the other impacts that we have throughout our lifetime. So how we perceptually see and sense our world changes our internal physiology. Mm. And then that sets us up for different levels of health expression. Now, those challenges, those perceptual understandings, how we view our world happens across seven areas of life. So we've got... um, Uh, uh, spiritual, mental, vocational, financial, familial, social, and physical. So all of those seven areas of life, we are constantly perceiving data through, and then that is having a physiological impact on our world. So So, yes, is there mental health that is a challenge? Absolutely. Can that be helped with diet? Absolutely. You know, making sure that we're not having processed food, making sure that we're getting minerals in our diet, given that the the um, state of the soil at the moment and how things are growing is so depleted in our life, making sure that we are having great conversations with people and thinking in different ways, and then also making sure that we are taking care of the internal workings of the body by having um, regular adjustments. So for me, I'm a chiropractor. I will always espouse um, chiropractic adjustments. Chiropractors are trained uh, in the neurological, you know, specificities of the body in order to um, assist those people with the changes that they wish to undertake. So, so that you know, and when we look from that neurological perspective, um, Rodney, obviously that's going to change what happens with our mental mind as well because now all of a sudden we've got a brain and a body that's connected it's not Mm. dissociated it's not separate it's not um you know kind of cut off at the neck and we're we're attempting to integrate things in our bodies wanting to do something you know something else so that integration is so vitally important um neurologically uh to be able to adapt to our life we're talking to dr sarah ferrant uh, vital well-being is her business, uh, and vital well-being is what she is. You just need to – I have the pleasure of seeing her, and she <laughs> is extremely well. She's a, certainly a being, and she's certainly very, very vital. <laughs> so she's a picture of very good health. Now, we've all seen – and there was a recent one that went around on X, and it was a video clip. And it's these pictures of the past. But this was a video clip that had been of a New York street in the 1930s. And uh, if you've seen it, it's dramatic. It's been colorized and it's been put to the right speed. And so it's like it was taken on your iPhone yesterday. But it's a 1930s busy, busy street scene. And when you see it, your jaw drops because there's dozens and dozens of people in the street scene 
every one of them looks like an athlete. No. They look unbelievably healthy. There's not an ounce of fat to be seen. They have beautiful round faces. They're smiling. They're standing straight. Mm. And you could imagine taking that same street scene today in any city in the West and you'd see these broken, depressed people. And so we've had this experience of the industrialization of our food and the growing of our food. We have seen, I guess, these assaults on our well-being and I don't know if it's hit peak, but the thing that I really notice now is cell phones. And when you're saying having good conversations, these things, these devices are the antithesis of a good conversation, are they not? Yeah, it's they, they certainly are. Well, I guess you can look at it in two ways. I, you know, I'm not a big device person my, myself, you know. I, you know, I, But, again, when we look at generational changes, it's, you know, we had big things in our time that came out and then the time TV, before that, yeah. you know, and then they have something that's in their lifetime that's big and impactful um, in their life. But, um, you know, I prefer these conversations, of course, and the and the conversations that I have when I present with people, you know, that that's they're the conversations that I'm all, you know, would love yeah. to engage in. But but you're right, you know, technology um interrupts that. And whilst it's not in our generation, that's not the way we do it, it's the next generation when you see how they interact, it's it's just so vastly different in uh, you know, it, it's a tough one. It 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 really is. I don't know the answer, but it just worries me because I myself can be readily addicted to right. X and social media. And I used to be addicted to the news before I was in politics. And I had to catch the news in the morning. I had to catch the news oftentimes on the hour and to be up to date with what was happening. And I'd get anxious if I hadn't heard the news. Right. Um, and in a funny way, the internet allows us that interaction with keeping up all the time. You can always refresh a page. You can always go on X. You can always look at Facebook. You can always, I don't do these other things like Instagram and TikTok, but you can see in the kids catching up with their chat rooms and their messages. Mm -hmm. And it can give you an anxiety if you're not up to date and you see it when you go to, you go out and the parents are, and the kids are all sitting there on their phones and they're a wonderful device. I love the internet. You know, I just adore it, but there's a dark side to it that we haven't yet developed the personal and social mechanisms. I guess it's like the ready availability of sugar which is, a, you know, in many ways a wonderful thing, but it's a dangerous thing. And we mm -hmm. have to learn how we handle this amazing opportunity because sugar's totally addictive. Mm. 
Um, and the food manufacturers know that sugar, salt, and um, are a, and fat are a great combination, and they can make food that you eat it, and you, as soon as you eat it, you want more of it, and you can't stop. You can't have one potato chip. You've got to eat the packet. Mm. Um, whereas you eat real food, and you become satiated. Mm. And this technology is the same. It's very hard us to put it down and then you see kids and i find it myself my attention span wanes so the idea of reading a long text is too much let alone reading a book mm. Mm. so we we this yeah. vital well-being is a topic of our times because there are so many assaults on our well-being going back to that 1930s amazing picture of what people were once and even if you cast i mean i went to primary school in the 60s and we might have had one fat kid in the school i mean no one would believe you now yeah now that's all by way of throat clearing and <laughs> back to our audience this year because we're going to have a regular slot where we talk about topics of of well-being and we're very blessed sarah to have you give us your uh knowledge and experience and to share us with us uh, the listeners of rcr um just before i do that where do we find we can just search vital well-being or dr sarah farrant and you will find her webpage where you can uh, see more about her and the services that they offer um i highly commend that webpage to you now the topic of today oh it's one of those ones it's a bit tricky <laughs> because as soon as i mention it i'm as bald as a badger but as soon as you mention head lice i start scratching around my head <laughs> i get itchy all over and then the other thing that occurs to me is i think of head lice as something from our caveman days, you know, that when we were living dirty and filthy and as peasants, you would be covered in filth and lice. And yet here we have head lice today and you get a note from the school, oh, watch out, there's a head lice outbreak at the school. And you think, how can that possibly be? This is the, you know, this is 2023, 2024 now. How can there be head lice? Surely we've got something that can deal with that. And then your child gets head lice and you think, what am I living in? Am I living in this filthy house? What is going on? Tell us about head lice. So, well, first of all, if I do just a little disclaimer that anything that I say is for educational purposes, uh, yeah. purposes only. But it was a while ago, Rodney, when I, st I, I wrote on lice, like, uh, you know, probably 12, 13, 14 years ago. And it was after hearing a conversation on a boat from these a, a group of mums that were talking about head lice and they were like oh yuck it's you know my child's got lice and it just won't go away and and the other one was saying well I use this medicated shampoo and the other one was like oh I'm just combing all the time and now I've got to wash all the sheets so it was all of this about the lice so I, I thought, you know, it's probably good that I write an article and just share a different 
perspective on on the lie. So if I start with this this story, and I've shared this story before, probably on your interview or, or on another RCR interview, but the story goes like this. Let's say that there is a nightclub, and this nightclub is on the corner of a laneway. And the venue is being hired out on this particular night. So there's more people than usual using the nightclub. But as the rubbish fills up, the staff are taking the rubbish bags out to the laneway where the, the you know, let's call them green wheelie bigs, the, the big green wheelie beans are, and they're putting the rubbish in. But as the night continues, the rubbish outside that the staff are taking outside is starting to pile up until the rubbish bin's full. But the staff are still taking the rubbish bags out and they're no longer able to put them in the bin. They put them down on the side of the green wheelbarrow, on the ground of the laneway. And the rubbish through the night starts to pile up more and more. Well, lo and behold, sooner or later, the aroma of the rubbish bags starts to filter through the suburb. And the young you know, opportunistic rats smell the aroma and they start to come to the laneway and they start to feast on the rubbish bags and they start to scavenge it, they start to eat. And then the staff come out and they're like, oh, my gosh, we've got rats, you know, so what would people do? Well, most people would go and get sprays and gels and rat bait, etc., and put out there to stop the rats from coming. So the question to ask in is, are the rats the problem or is the rubbish pile the problem? And, of course, the answer is the rubbish pile is the problem, not the rats. The rats are the opportunistic rodent that goes... I can smell this, you know, wonderful taste of rubbish. I'm going to go and feast. So most people, though, look at the rats as the problem and we need to get rid of the rats. And they fail to look at the rubbish pile. If we just clean up the pile, mm. then the rats won't come. So the rats were using their nerve system obviously through their senses, to sense their world, to go, I can smell something great, I'm going to go and feast. Lice are no different. Lice are opportunistic. So let's let's look then as lice is opportunistic and then we have a host. The host is then ripe for the lice then to feast on there to help clean up whatever is um, occurring on the head. So let me back up a little bit. When children grow, the first seven years is about the physical body. And this is where the movie think comes in or the physical, the chemical, the emotional, or said another way, thoughts, trauma, and toxins. The first seven years are about the physical body. When the child gets to about the age of six, seven, eight, it's different. That's why I've given it a range. Their, their body starts to change. They start to move out of their physical body and they move into their chemical body. That chemical body lasts for the next seven years 
from seven till around 14. At the age of 14, they then go into their emotional body. At the age of 21, they come back into their physical body. So the instigation or the the awareness of this change that starts to occur from the physical body to the chemical body at the age of six, seven, eight is when they start to lose their baby teeth. So when we start to lose that, we know that there is cranial changes that are taking place, which means there's also going to be brain changes that takes place, which means there there are different hormones that get released into the body. And those hormones that get released obviously help instigate puberty, et cetera. Layered over that change is the starting of school. So at around the age of six, children will go into formal education. They would start at a, you know, inverted commas, at a big school uh, if they come out of daycare centres. So for us in practice, you know, over the time that we have been um you know, operating, we have seen that lice is generally from the age of around 6 to 14, but primarily where we've seen lice um, prevalent is in children from the age of 8 till 11. So when they undergo these changes in their cranium and they're releasing more, you know, hormones into, into their body, and they're at school, they're undergoing a tremendous amount of stress. So that stress is an emotional stress and it's a chemical stress. So the stress is the hormones that get released. But then they start at school and they've got all the schoolyard, you know, inverted commas, stuff mm. to mm. to A be, huge amount of stuff. But yeah, be in, you know, inter, interact with. So they've got, you know, the... Um, uh, how do I get around the school? You know, mm. the anxiety. And then they've got learning challenges, um, which usually come up, ironically, at around the age of six, seven, eight. Um, and then we have um, uh, perfectionism, maybe, that they're at school and they want to make sure that they're doing everything correctly. And then there's the schoolyard bully. And then there's where am I sitting in the classroom? And then there's teacher interaction. So there's a whole lot of stress that is coming on. But the changes in their cranium also mean that they are becoming more abstract in thought, which means they can also start to form stories. So it might be like, Sally's not nice to me in the playground. Now, Sally could be a nice person and Sally might be nice, but again, we start to create these stories in our head that Sally's not nice to me or, you know, Bobby's got um, a different lunch to me and I want to, um, you know, why can't I have the same lunch as, as Bobby? So all of these different stresses therefore emit different chemicals through our skin and therefore we have different chemicals that are emitted through the scalp and that go down the hair, through our hair. Now, whilst that emit the emittance of those particular chemicals is not offensive to us as humans, they are the sweet-smelling essential oils to things like lice. So mm. lice will go where there's an opportunity for them to scavenge. Now, that doesn't mean that the lice are bad in someone's head because they're, they're just like rats. They're cleaning up the pile. So they're scavenging. They're eating. They're, they're wanting to, 
to um, eat because they've been attracted by that chemical change on that person's skin. So the um, the uh, the uh, lice then, we can look at the lice as the problem and we go, okay, I'm going to go and get sprays and gels and medication or medicated shampoos to put on my child's hair in order to remove that remove that lice. Or we can actually say there's an opportunity here because if we're just de-licing, then we're missing the opportunity. And the opportunity is to have the conversation and understand what is occurring in your child's life at that point in time. So, so um, questions around and understanding, it's almost like the questions and being the observer, Rodney, of their of their world. You know, what are they going through? What are the stresses that they are encountering? Sometimes it's just making sure that we have the awareness. So when I say it's not about a dirty child and it's not about a child having blonde hair because they so they say that more children, you know, that have blonde hair have more lice, you know, it, it's not it's not about that. It's about the relative stress in the child's life that creates the chemicals that are emitted through the skin that has the lice become opportunistic on their head because you can be in the same house and Mary has lice but Billy doesn't. And they can be in the same room. They can be sitting at the table together. They can be sitting on a couch close together. And Billy doesn't, but Mary does. So you have to, just from that observation alone, it's not about, oh, isn't Billy lucky he doesn't have the lice and Mary's unfortunate. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's look at the host. Let's look at what is actually happening in that child's world in order for us to um, change that host environment. So, again, three T's or the move, eat, think. So what is Mary doing for exercise? So getting moving is really important, especially when you come out of the physical body at the age of seven. You want to continue to have something physical in your life. So playing sport is going to be a good thing. Just moving in nature and going for walks with your family or bike riding on the bike path, whatever that is, making sure the child is moving. And then you've got to look closely at diet. Because diet, you know, as we were alluding to before we got into the conversation on lice, diet is so important to, um, you know, the child's world at that age and and ongoing on into adult and elderly age. So are they having um, processed foods? Are they eating lots of wheat, which inflames the body? Are they eating lots of dairy, which also inflames the body? Are they... um, uh, you know, addicted to sugar and constantly wanting um, sugary type foods? Are they eating packaged foods instead of made from scratch foods? So there's lots of conversations to be had around that um, uh, around that alone. But suffice to say, it's important to make sure that, um, well, I guess, you know, there's probably about seven things that we could go through. One is making sure that that child is getting adjusted for neurological integrity and also um, the understanding of we're self-healing, self-regulating and self-maintaining in our world and we're constantly changing. So therefore having a nerve system that can integrate is vitally important. 
The second thing would be not missing the opportunity to understand your child's world. So um, depending on the age, children aren't always able to explain things with the words that they use. So being a parent that questions or ask questions or has interest in something is going to help your child to open up. And that's not to say that as a parent we go, oh, don't be silly, Mary. You know, Sally doesn't do that in the playground. No, it's about if Mary has that concern, then I've always come from the position that as a parent, my job is to help them integrate that and understand that whether that is true or whether that is not, because I see that this age group, they are more abstract and they start to create stories for themselves. And then the um, the next thing would be the food that we've touched on, making sure that, you know, organic where possible, homegrown where possible, less packaged food, more made from scratch food. Um, the next one would be getting rest, making sure that your child is having the rest after this, you know, major undertaking of change in their life where they are now at school age, then making sure that they are getting the appropriate rest. And I think nowadays kids are so overscheduled, you know, they're going from school and they're going straight to this practice and then they might be going to a music lesson or whatever it is. All of a sudden they're not home till six o'clock at night. They're having dinner late. They're not might not be in bed till way later. So there's no downtime to really um allow the stress of the day and the frenetic energy of starting school um, subside. Um, the other the next one would be uh, getting moving, as I've alluded to before, if we're coming out of the physical body from the age of seven and moving into the chemical body, we, then we've got to keep that physical part going. So doing the sport at school, exercising, etc. Um, and then probably the last two would be making sure that we laugh. You know that laugh changes our insulin levels within our body. It's been it's been shown to do that. So making sure that we are doing comical things as a family and having a good belly laugh together mm. um, is is important. And then being loving. You know, I wrote an article about twelve hugs a day is is what we need in order to thrive in our life. So making sure that as a family dynamic, we are you. Know, Know, hugging whenever we get that opportunity um, to do so. So, I mean, they're just kind of like seven of ways in which we can help to decrease that stress to help change the environment of the child. Um, so it's that such life... a, it's such a great way of looking at the world <laughs> Thank because you. that's not just about lice, is it? Mm -mm. It's about lots of things, yeah. And that way, you see it as lice is an opportunity because it's a symptom, not yep. a, something to be scrubbed out. And they're the ones that are coming in to help clean up the yes. head. You know, whatever the whatever the chemicals that are emitting, they're going to suck on, they're going to eat, they're going to lay eggs through because they want that. That's their nourishment. And when it's not there, like in Billy's case, they're gone to the next person who is emitting those chemicals that smell like sweet essential oils to the lice. But, and but, so I suspect you'd say not to put the chemicals on your kid's head in the chemical shampoo. No, no, not not chemicals. Look, there are. Look, I can give you a, an example of what what a parent can do. But again, this is like taking a Panadol for pain. You know, it's just masking something. 
So um, what you can do is you can wash, uh, the, the parent can wash the hair first and then you get like about a 20 or a $2 coin or a 50 cent piece of conditioner into your um into the palm of your hand and then you put maybe about five drops of tea tree oil into that and then you mix it together and then you lather it through the hair you leave it in the hair then you hop out of the shower and then you can put put your hair put the child's hair up in a shower cap and leave it kind of incubating in the tea tree and the conditioner for about 15 minutes and then you don't wash it out, then you can just comb the lice out. But the tea tree is something that is very alienating to to lice. So, I mean, that's just one example rather than having to have all of these medicated gels and, 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 and um, you know, uh, toxic shampoos onto the child's head. If you use something that, uh, like you could use an Echo Store um uh, conditioner, which is a conditioner that can be left in the hair, but it's not toxic to the body. And then your tea tree in a shower cap, comb, you can do it again if you want to the next day and the next day. And then they're, they're generally not there um, anymore. However, I will say that, yes, that is a, you know, a Panadol. It's a Band-Aid. You haven't yet addressed the host so that mm -hmm. example is like having the rubbish pile outside the nightclub and all we just put sprays and rat bait on and killed the rats. But you know what? More rats are going to come in because we haven't cleaned up the rubbish pile. Um, and the lice might be the least of the problems. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, tell me, you mentioned in your seven things. Yeah. You used a phrase, but it was like, chiropractic for children each week manipulation was it you said adjustment adjustment yeah no adjustment. one wants to be manipulated right uh, <laughs> not in life anyway yeah I, I was trying to get that word adjustment adjustment yes and i recall you telling me this and this is the idea that regularly a child should be adjusted yeah. i struggle with this sarah I really do, because I think they're children. A, who's got the money for this? B, who's got the time for this? Who can be fagged? How come we've got through those wonderful-looking people in the 1930s? They weren't being adjusted each week. Is this OTT? What What is going on with the sudden need to adjust children each week? What is this about? Well, it's... it's uh... It's not relatively new. It's been around for, you know, almost 130 years that mm -hmm. chiropractic has been um, adjusting children, you know, per se, and uh, and adults. So it has been around in the 30s. Um, but people might not have known about it or known the impact that it can have in a person's life. So if you have um, children when they're developing, develop the most at the first seven years of life. That's why it's about the physical body. At no other time in their life will they develop as much as what they have in that first seven years of life. So your nerve system is constantly changing and growing and developing. And so the, the um, I guess, the chiropractic profession is 
working in support of that nerve system so that you can be in a balanced state rather than having to go to the highs of the mountains and the lows of the valleys. So that with a nerve system that is able to communicate itself, it's able to um, adjust to life into that self-healing, self-regulating, self-maintaining organism that's constantly adapting to to life and the nerve system is at the centre of that. So it's much like... um, I was going to use the analogy of a light glow, but I'm not sure if that would be. So, oh, so yeah. it's a little five-year-old, mm-hmm. and I bring my little five-year-old to you. Yeah. And you adjust, do an adjustment. That's yeah. Yes. How long would that take? Uh, well, first appointment's always longer than than any of the other appointments, and then you're – um, you're a second appointment. You know, it depends. There's different models for how people come into mm-hmm. practice practices. But um, once you're undergoing um, adjustments, it's uh, it's not. I mean, it's not a long period of time. It's not like a half an hour um, appointment. You know, some okay. chiropractors are very fast. Others uh, take longer. So it depends on. And what would you do to that five year old? Uh, adjust them. <laughs> but what does that However, mean? There's a, so there's so there's about eighty different techniques in in chiropractic. You know, so it's horses for courses. There are some that are very gentle in touch. There are some that are higher in force in touch. We kind of sit in the middle towards the the lower force end than we do in the high force end. So we uh, we. Um, do neurological checks. So we would check leg length, we check hips, we check um, the total length of their spine, we check the upper part of their their neck, um, and then we use all of our knowledge base to make, you know, calculated and good decisions on where to adjust the body at that point in time um, based on what they are presenting on that particular appointment. And it, and you would like to see that child ideally once a week. Um, everyone's different, Rodney. Some some children would be once a week. Some maybe twice a week. Some then eventually go out to monthly. So we have some people that are on uh, some families that we see that come in every month with all of their kids. Some come in every week with their kids. Some every two weeks. So it it depends on what's going. There's no for us at least. There's no cookie cutter. You know, like I'm going to see you now. For us, you know, after mm-hmm. again after years of experience with people, it's very much for us uh, uh, um, an individual. Um, I'm going to keep pressing this point because I love everything you say and it resonates with me. And I'm just struggling with this. And I think too, Rodney, it's. In order for people to come across to the chiropractic, this Mm. alternate understanding of approaching health, we've got to kind of park our understanding of the allopathic and even the alternative worlds to a degree, we've got to park them on the side Mm. because if we're coming across from the allopathic approach to chiropractic with an allopathic understanding, then that's when we become disappointed because why haven't I got the Panadol chiropractic adjustment? Like why is my pain still there? Why is my headache still there? Why hasn't this changed? Whereas people 
forget that's not we look we're working with the nerve system we don't have a crystal ball we have layers that we peel away and peel away and peel away so that you like an onion so that we can eventually get to the core essence of who you are where your stability lies so that you have less fluctuations in your life and life becomes a lot more enjoyable and a lot more fun than than riding the waves see i mean i guess I'll do anything like any dad does for their kids. Yeah. And I'm feeling, oh, my goodness, I'm having this dad anxiety. I haven't had my kids ever adjusted. Oh, i got to rush out and have them adjusted. Oh, where do I go? Oh, what will it cost? How do I fit this in? And I'm actually having a wee dad attack. I'm triggered. (laughs) Because it's never a thing that's occurred to me. And then I think, how come my little kids need a Adjustment. Um, what would that cost a, cost a trip for three kids to be adjusted? Well, again, it ranges on, you know, lots of people have different family packages that they may do. If, if you're coming in regularly as a family, um, there may be, you know, investment for four and then the fifth one is free. Um, the prices range anywhere from the mid-40s to 60s, depending on, but um, to sixty dollars, depending but, on but where the family or a child. Uh, that would be for an adult. So for a child, it's usually like ten dollars to fifteen dollars less than that. Again, I'm not speaking for the whole car. No, no, no. I'm just getting a feel um, because I'm I'm mortified. I, I can do I can do the lice. I yeah. can do the whole food. Yeah, I can do all that. But I'm thinking, oh, I've got to have them adjusted. Oh, oh. And what would I notice? If my children were being adjusted on a regular basis? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And again, it's different depending on what that child presents with. Um, one of the things that does change first that what I've, you know, kind of observed over the years of practice is that the mind changes first. So all of a sudden people are starting to think clearer. That's the adults with obviously the language that are able to communicate that. With children, what parents have noticed is that maybe, um, you know, Billy can be outside playing for longer than what he was before. Maybe he's spending more time jumping on a trampoline than what he's done before. Maybe he's not complaining about X, Y, or Z as much as what he has before. Maybe he's sleeping a lot, um, a, a lot more soundly than what he has in the past. Um, so they're, they're, they're all in sundry. And again, it's such an individual journey for, um, for a child and a parent um, when they're getting adjusted, that the changes are endless. You know, it's it's so uh, it's so um, vast in terms of what can change. And we always say to parents, you know, watch out for the change. Be the observer of your child and notice things that you may never have noticed before. If you wanted to give it a whirl, yeah. And so I love that. I want to give it a whirl. <laughs> well, you got grandkids, or you got kids, and yeah. you say, you know, little Johnny is, I don't know, overly anxious or lacking concentration or seems a little unhappy. And you said, Well, I heard Dr. Fred, she's a very, very uh, sensible lady with lots of experience, and I trust her. And she's saying this is a thing. So, 
I'm skeptical, but I'll give it a go. How long would you need to be doing it for to know whether this is a good thing? Oh, gosh. People can have immediate results after one adjustment, um, and it's and it's life changing. People can have wow. people can have um, changes after one and a half months. You know, so it all depends on you know the layers. Move it, think. It all depends on the layers and layers and layers that someone comes in with. That that is then the challenge to work out. You know, for I mean, that's what we're skilled in, right? That the the knowledge of where to adjust, not necessarily the adjustment, but the knowledge of where to adjust, and the conversations we have and the questions that we ask around that. So, for some people, it's life changing after one adjustment, and they're they're in for for their whole life because it's so impactful. And then others may take um, a little bit longer because. You know when you peel away an onion, Rodney, and and sometimes the next layer is not clear. It's got that little black bit of mold kind of in it. Um, sometimes the body's like that. So we peel away a layer and we don't know what we're going to get next. So it may take a couple of um, adjustments before people really go, "Wow, this is okay." Now I'm amazing. The the difference is, Rodney, is that when if people are looking from a pain perspective, once you're once that pain has subsided, we don't have a recollection of it. That's the way no. the brain works. It's kind of like no. childbirth, right? You don't no. have the recollection of the pain no. that you experience, and the body's no different. So once someone's out of that, they forget what they were in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah, challenge. Right. It's like, hang on, do you remember where you were and where you are now? It's like, oh, okay. And and would a child would a child then go? You go, oh, that was great. We had a good three months, and they're right now. Or would it be a thing that you might pop back regularly to have an adjustment? I, I am always an advocate of regular okay. because you're not going to eat broccoli once. You're no. not going to have salad once. You're not going to have it a couple of times a life. You're going to eat it because it's good for you. So chiropractic is good for the body because it works with your nerve system to keep you integrated, to keep you connected. And because you're a self-healing, self-regulating, self-regenerating organism that's constantly adapting to your environment, it's really important to make sure that we have that neurological connection for the greatest adaptation in your life. Well, I'm thinking of giving this a whirl. Great. I've got a couple of children that I think might benefit. But how then, when listening, does one go about finding a chiropractic nearby where we live? Do we just look up the yellow pages? <laughs> <laughs> do we just Google it? Yellow yeah, pages look, is so funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do we just Google it or do we ask about how do you find a good chiropractic because I imagine it's like everything there are good builders and not so good builders yeah sure yeah and that's exactly right so there's a couple of different things um there is the New Zealand Chiropractic Association so if mm -hmm. you go on there you can put in your uh area and it will come up with a list of chiropractors so you could start there the 
people do email us. I kind of request, um, don't do that because I just don't have the time to no, find. No. I'm not a, like a um, you're not a dating a finding show. service. No. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have the time to do that. However, if people are in a pickle, I can you know do my best to uh, work that out. But what I do say to people is that go to our website at vital-wellbeing.com and read the website so that people understand what language that we're using, and mm. then they will find something of similar ilk when they go to someone else's. Um, you know, website um, that they may read. They may go, oh, okay, that seems like it might have a similar feel to um, to Sarah and Randall. So um, that's another way that that um, someone can do it. Word of mouth within your community is always a great way to to um, to get uh, an insight as the chiropractors in your area. I, I do say, Rodney, that. I went and got my hair cut once and I didn't like it, but it didn't stop me from getting my hair cut again. I just went and found mm -hmm. another hairdresser that I liked, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with chiropractic. If you are not happy with your chiropractor, don't give up. Just go and find someone that you feel might be more attuned to your current understanding of health and then they will set you on a journey and as you move and evolve you may move on from that chiropractor and go to another chiropractor and that's okay because we are you know we are students and teachers and teachers and students and um, the important thing is to find someone and get started to have that experience for yourself as you know because we've had this conversation offline but my dear mother in her 90s, who was a highly sceptical person and um, in the sense that, you know, she didn't suffer BS, she in her 90s would hop in her little car on her own and drive all the way across Auckland and then up onto the North Shore across the bridge to her lovely and favorite chiropractor and she found it extraordinary mm. and she was a woman who wasn't into woo-woo if you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so that had a dramatic impact on my thinking even so if we'd been having this conversation six months ago i wouldn't have i would have understood everything that you were saying up until this adjustment, regular adjustment. But a little girl, my little girl was suffering anxiety. It was, it was terrible. It was debilitating. Mm. And a friend of a, a friend said, I've got a friend who can help. So I, I felt a bit caught. Oh, okay. And this friend was duly in the lo locality and came over very kindly and did this contact therapy and adjustment. Oh my goodness. Transform my little girl. Mm. That's what's got me thinking about it. Mm. That's and funny. when I was there while she was doing this adjustment, and it was almost hypnotic. Mm. It was the words, it was the manipulation. And I don't know. And the lady herself says, I don't know how it quite works. But mm. my little girl, over the next 
two, three, four weeks, even to this day, six months on, has got better every day. Mm. And I'm looking at that and thinking, yeah, well, there's coincidences, yeah, there's, you know, psychology, <laughs> but she's a different, better person as a result. Mm. So that's why I say I think I'm going to give this a whirl. Doctor, well, now, um, our, you know, our eldest client is 92 my and regularly every week gets adjusted with his wife. And uh, our youngest is was a newborn baby just a few hours old that we adjusted last month. So it's in the hospital. Goodness. So it's it's that's the that's why we optimize the health of generations because we are covering the full gamut of people um, oh within goodness. their life. Yeah. Well, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's been real talk with Rodney Hyde. We've had the wonderful uh, Dr. Sarah Ferrant. Uh, <laughs> vital well-being. Look her up. She's got me thinking. And rather than feeling now, I started off feeling, oh, I'm a failure. You know, it's a bit like you haven't eaten enough broccoli <laughs> um, or you had too much sweet things and I had a moro bar and you just feel bad. <laughs> I was feeling that way, but now I see it as an opportunity to be uh, a better dad and improve my kids' lives. And it's wonderful to have that opportunity. I thank you for joining us. I thank you for sharing with us um, your wealth of experience <laughs> and the fact that I think I probably pushed you quite hard, almost like a politician, because I wanted to get to the <laughs> bottom okay. of that adjustment. <laughs> You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Aren't we blessed with the wonderful guests we have and their experience of their world? And I would say, best of all, their humanity, their love for people and their community. We're very, very blessed. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom by simply visiting www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today.